From our studio in San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, this is Salt and Spine. I'm not authentic. <laughs> you know, I didn't just come off a plane in Thailand and start cooking this food all of a sudden. You know, I've been here you know, all my life. So it's, it's, it's an American story. Hi, you're listening to Salt and Spine, stories behind cookbooks. I'm your host, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you just heard from James Siaboot talking about his first cookbook, Hawker Fair. Now, let me tell you a little bit about James. James came to the United States as a two-year-old. His family, refugees from Laos, fleeing after the Vietnam War, and settled in Oakland, California. After culinary school, James moved to Europe and trained in classical French techniques, working at some of the top restaurants before landing back in the Bay. Today, James is a chef with restaurants in San Francisco and Oakland, including the only Michelin-starred restaurant in the East Bay. Now, there aren't many Lao cookbooks today. In fact, there aren't many Lao restaurants in the United States today, often overshadowed by Thai restaurants and many with Americanized menus. The sticky rice and lob of Lao cooking is underrepresented. James is working to change that, including through his first cookbook, which is Equal Parts Cookbook and Memoir. The first half of the book is a really excellent deep dive into his childhood, his Lao and Isan roots, and his journey to return back to the food that he grew up on. We sat down with James at the Civic Kitchen Cooking School in San Francisco to talk cookbooks. We're here with James Siabut, uh, author of Hawker Fair. First of all, just congratulations on such a beautiful cookbook. Thank you very much. We're very, very happy. I'm very glad we took the time that we did to do it right. And funny thing is we, a third of the way through, we decided to start over because I was like, eh, the direction wasn't where I was wanting to be. It was going to be, it sounded more like a restaurant book. And that's why I didn't want. It's like, hey, you know, I need to open myself up a little bit and be more, you know, vulnerable. I guess that's the word. And like telling the personal story. And it's like, you know, I'm going to write this book and get things off my chest. I and mean, this is the perfect time to do it. So yeah, it's, it's an incredible journey. I'm glad it's, I'm happy it's done and it's on the record. Yeah. And, and can you talk a little bit about the difference between Lao food and Thai food? Yeah. I mean, it's, we like to use the term same, same, but different. You know, you see that everywhere in Laos. It's yeah. like Taos, Thai, same, same, but different. A lot of Thai food that we know, like, I think a lot of, you can trace back a lot of, um, history on food itself, no matter where you are. It, it has to come from a, a certain place. Um, what we know as Thai food, you know, papaya salad and lob, you know, we trace back the origins of where, who, who's eating these foods like at central thailand and bangkok or most people from the northeast and you start looking back like politics and colonialism and it's like okay the people in the northeast you know they they appear to the dialects different they look different but they're also thai so why is why is this you know there's still thai but there's so so it's regional but then part of that region used to be once upon a time long laos so you can say, yeah, the food's Thai, but it's culturally Lao. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that it's, you know, it's kind of hard to explain. It's not hard to explain, but it's, it's, uh, me, I feel like it's a kind of touchy subject. <laughs> but, you know, the flavors, I mean, there's some commonalities of like spice levels and whatnot, you know, um, like fish sauce, like Lao food. We used it more unfermented, like the unrefined fish sauce. It's a kind of funkier and, has a little more grit, more bite, higher in saline, um, only because the Northeast and Laos being landlocked, you know, preservation was 
the way we cooked. That's why we use a lot of dry chilies. Things are a lot spicier. Um, the fish sauce is a lot funkier. When it becomes, comes down to like the city like Bangkok, things become more refined and definitely have a lot more resources. So I think that's kind of the difference. You know, it's like same, same, but different. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you, next time you eat a papaya salad, that's why once upon a time at Hawker Fair, we had two versions of it. You know, we had the Lao version, which is with dry chilies, no sugar in the dressing. Uh, with like salted crab and fermented fish. We had the Thai version had peanuts and dried shrimp. We had like more refined fish sauce. There's palm sugar in it. So it's a little bit sweeter and had peanuts. And those are the two differences, but pretty much they're the same. Mm. It's just kind of where it comes from regionally. Yeah. One thing um, that I noticed right away with this cookbook is that so much of it really is a memoir of sorts and, and that you really have the first almost third or, or 40% even of the book that is a narrative of your life that talks about your path and your journey. And a lot of cookbooks sort of weave that narrative throughout uh, and include that in the recipe headers and different chapters and things. But you made that decision to put your story in that memoir first and to really open the book with 100 plus pages about your life. How, how did you come to that decision and that process? I think to write about the food, I needed to really like think back because the food is very nostalgic. And I need to really like transport myself back into time. And the best place to do that is also give the reader a sense of timing of where these recipes come from and to have the reader understand like what's my personal past and how this food came to be. Um, so I think putting the stories in front like sets the tone and the mood a little bit more. And also it's a good introduction to the cuisine, like what's La food and it kind of breaks down what's Isan, what's Thai, what's, you know, what we see Thai is actually Lao and kind of like demystify um, a couple of things in the beginning to kind of build like a mindset and get kind of the reader ready, um, prepare themselves for the recipe. And there's also like smaller stories in, in the recipes as well that kind of connects it all. So it's kind of like one big ball chain link in the beginning and then the smaller, and then you start pulling the chain throughout the book and it's all linked up and that's why we decided to do that and, and and it just flows a lot better sure one thing that you know in the book too that um your mother grappled with when she was running a restaurant too is the american palate and the americans tendency to want that sweetness um which you you see more and is this correct that thai food is tends to be a little sweeter and and lao food tends to be a little more bitter more sour have some of the fermented um, aspects that you noted yeah lao food it's more herbaceous you know because being landlocked it's the jungle so things uh, flavor profiles of, of bitterness herbaceousness um fermentation heavy fermentation those are flavors you're not accustomed to what we know as thai food um you know, and, and Thai food, like in the South, it's totally different than Central as well. Where with Thai food now, it's it's becoming more regional for sure. You know, back then it was just a one big category. It was just Thai food, and pad Thai was the thing. You know, and we get it today. Like people come to Hawker Fair, like you have pad Thai. I'm like, no, I'm so sorry. You know, it's like not every restaurant has pad Thai. It's like yeah. not every Thai restaurant has spaghetti and meatballs either. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, you also decided to make your first cookbook, Hawker Fair, and you've noted too that in some ways this is an apology letter. But can you talk about you're a Michelin starred chef? You have Comey. How did you make that decision that your first cookbook was going to be about Lao food and not a, a restaurant cookbook? Um, it was more of a, a selfish reason. Um, you know, a Comey book would be good. It doesn't go in it. It doesn't really, it's personal, but it's more of like a professional 
level of personal, but this is more like, you know, something I could pass down to the generations of like my children and like recipes that, you know, like my mother never had recipes. Pretty much I kind of learned a lot of it cooking from memory. And it was very important for me to write this book to like, you know, pass on to my two kids and have them have Lao food and have them say, hey, you know, yeah, our food is a little bit different. We eat for our hands. Sticky rice is fantastic. You know, don't shy away from it like I did. <laughs> um, and also know, like, I think it's just a great, fun story um, nowadays. I think, like, a lot of Asian Americans my age had this kind of same parallel upbringing. And now I know, now the book's out, I always get, like, these, like, messages on Instagram and Twitter. And I was like, oh, my God, my dad's from Laos, too. My mom's from Mubon, from Isan. And we came here in, like, 1982. We live in Stockton. And, like, all the stories you wrote about, like, I, did, I lived that. You know, and it's kind of like, uh, kind of cool in a way. It's like I'm meeting like a twin, it's like other parts of the other parts of the country, like Minnesota. I never knew there was a big like Lao population in Minnesota, Brooklyn, um, Florida. And how so? How important was it um, for you to identify as a, a refugee chef? Uh, I, it's in the subtitle of the book, you mm-hmm. know, recipes and stories from a refugee chef. Obviously, you've been working on this for years, uh, several years. The book has been in the making, but certainly refugees generally have been in the news more recently mm-hmm. um, in a political context. Yeah. Um, how important for for you was it to have that identity as really central to this cookbook? Um, it's very important because I'm neither really Thai or Lao. I'm not really American because I wasn't born here. So I'm kind of like stuck in between. And that was like the most appropriate description. You know, it's, it's just... You know, I, mean, I came here to seek refuge, and the story is about me seeking refuge. And and I think the refuge be, goes beyond just like where I'm from and why I'm here. It's more like food is like a refuge. You know, like that's why comfort food people runs to comfort food for refuge, um, given its name. And yeah, and I think it just speaks volume. I think that word grabs and people can relate to a lot. You know, and you know, it's just a very for me like. Not considering like a sense of timing, but just that it's a very, very powerful word. Yeah. And this, this book is a lot about that, that process of coming back to your roots. And how does your family look at this book? How, how, how has your family and your aunts and uncles and others received this book as a homage to that? Um, my mom doesn't read. She can't read English. So she's been with, with me through the process, like, you know, the photos and stuff like that. And she thinks it's, it's fun. I don't think she understands like the amplitude of what this book means or does, you know, like media and whatnot. But just from a response from like, you know, also I'm meeting a bunch of like Lao people like I've never met before. And like you say, we share, share the same stories. And sometimes like so and so is like, Oh, my mom knows your mom. I'm like, how is that <laughs> possible? You live in Sacramento. And, you know? So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. It's kind of like bridging. Like also, I have like more like family members. Yeah. Like also, like instantly. Um, yeah, it's great. Like I love the enthusiasm about about it, and like people's like, yeah, it was like you know, it's kind of a coming of age book. And what I love about it, it's it's going to be it's, it's going to be a timeless book, you know, because if it's a restaurant book, you know, restaurants you're hot, then you go away, and then it's you know, this is like the personal story. It's more like a, a timeless 
thing. Now it's in print. I have nothing to hide. So. <laughs> and and you mentioned a little bit that you you ran away from that a bit, and you talk about that in in your book, and you you note that it's in some ways an apology letter um, to running away from your roots. Can you talk about running away from your Lao roots? I know you traveled around Europe and mm-hmm. and did sages at, at um, really respected restaurants there, and then sort of had this process of coming back to your roots and coming back to Lao cooking. Yeah, I mean, growing up in a restaurant surrounded by live food in the, in the Thai kitchen. I always knew I wanted to be a, a chef, a professional chef. As a child, I wanted to be the guy wearing the, like the white starch jacket, the immaculate kitchen. You know, that wasn't my mother's and pop's restaurant. You know, I didn't see that. It's like, I didn't see a future in it. You know, it's like, hey, if I need to get there, I need to get to the pros. You know, Lao and Thai food wasn't my ticket. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, no one, it's not glorified. You know, and I, I, I need to kind of jump ship and like, if I really wanted to be at a certain level, I need to play a certain game. But it was all food. It was I was interested in it. You know, I'd never cooked with butter before until like culinary school. Right. And then, you know, eventually opened Komi in 2009. And then I got our Michelin star like the first year, first couple of months we opened. And then it's like, well, okay. And in Oakland, which is great, hometown. And, you know, the things I love about cooking, what started me getting cooking was Lao food and Thai food, which is like, Thinking back, I'm like, no, I don't know how to cook that food. The thing that got me started <laughs> in the cooking, I have no, I, I left that desire. And I kind of felt like that was kind of wrong. I kind of did it wrong. It's like I needed to kind of, and I missed the food, honestly. No, I missed the food. I think that's, people say as you grow older, you want to like retract a little bit. It's totally certainly true. And it was a shame that I didn't know how to cook this for myself as a professional chef. So the best thing I do is to, Use my skills that in fine dining to analyze flavors and technique and figure out these, you know, the soup no mai my mom used to make me back home. I have no idea how to do it, but you know, it's simple home cooking. I think that's the beauty about like rustic cooking because deliciousness is the key target. You know, that's the consistency and you don't need any measuring instruments, um, to cook that way. And, and it was always like, spot on delicious comforting you crave it i think that's the main thing for me like i craved it so i was like okay you also say in the book this is an authentically american book and your story is 100 percent american so i think that that's really interesting too you talk about growing up in oakland that's so much a part of this book of your identity but also um going back to that rustic cooking following your your culinary path and going back there and this is really one of the first um major cook books on Lao food for American home cooks. So not only do you have um, weights listed in ingredient lists, but you also make a lot of recommendations for specific brands of products. Um, You talk about a Lao pantry, uh, ingredients that folks need to have at home. How important was that for you to have that? Is that so that home cooks who aren't used to cooking Lao food can actually understand what that's like and recreate that themselves? Yeah, I was probably like, you know, brands, like it's almost like mix. I, I always refer to brands like mixology, like making the cocktails. It's like, yeah, I can make this gin drink, but if you use a different gin, the drink tastes totally different. So it kind of was the same with a lot of this food. It's like if you make this, you know, lop with one brand for sauce, it's going to taste different from X for sauce. But I wanted you to taste what I taste. So that's why it was, you know, I was very specific to which brand you should use because I really want you to taste what I taste in like, in like real time. 
Yeah. One of my favorite um, little stories in the book is the the praline story. And you stumble upon a, a temple, right? And and they're making pralines. Yeah, it was, it was Sunday you know, running around Bangkok, like on the edges of Chinatown. We walked just taking a straw, you know, it's pretty quiet. And we see um, these gentlemen making praline outdoors, humid as hell. And I just, we just heard from afar and it was banging this praline. And we sat there and like watched, like, what's going on? So we went over there and you guys make praline and the way they were doing it, it was like ass backwards of what I was taught how to make caramel, right? And it's just like, and I made caramel before. It's like, damn, my sugar just crystallized. What's going on? <laughs> I didn't stir it. I got my thermometer, a laser thermometer. I got my candy thermometer. You know, I'm using an induction pan. I'm using a copper pot. And these guys are just doing it in short sandals, no thermometer, with a little blow dryer to keep their charcoal lit. And it was super consistent. I was I was watching them making like large batch, like probably like five kilos at a time. And it's like, how can this be? It's like everything I was taught how to make caramel, they're doing it the total opposite way. But they're like crushing it, like batch to batch to batch to batch. I was like, oh, okay, maybe you know. That's when I thought I was like, maybe we are overthinking it. Maybe it's more instinctual than it is. You know, if you're like calibrate yourself. And I was like totally amazed by that. And it was kind of like a turning point for me i like you know there's more than one way to do things correctly and that was kind of refreshing yeah very refreshing it was very primitive you know i'm like yeah this guy's not using a top of the line equipment you know they're outdoors and humid air which you don't want you know and they're stirring the sugar i'm like that's not you know what i was taught to do but it works you know i was just like amazed by it so i was like that was like a real revelation for me We'll be right back with more of our conversation with James. Now, we're talking today with James Siaboot about his first cookbook, Hawker Fair. I'm holding it here. It's a, a beautiful cookbook, as I noted, part memoir, part cookbook. Uh, it's full of stunning photography by Eric Wolfinger, co-written by food writer John Birdsall. Um, the trio traveled together throughout um, Laos working on this book. Um, now, if you've never cooked Lao food before, you're in for a real treat. There's some great recipes in here. Um, let's recipes like chicken wings and red curry. Um, there's a great Lao beef noodle soup. Um, and one of my favorites, the Khao Mang Gai, which is poached chicken and rice. Um, also the staple of one of James' new restaurants, Talking Bird, in Oakland, California. Uh, it's a super compelling, a genuine memoir. Uh, as, as we noted, it's an excellent cookbook. Uh, and it may just introduce you to the cuisine you didn't know you've been missing this whole time. I hope you'll check it out. Now, Salt and Spine is recorded at the Civic Kitchen, the recreational cooking school offering hands-on classes and events for home cooks in San Francisco's Mission District. I know you'll love the open, airy, and welcoming space. It's perfect for learning about different techniques, cuisines, and styles from expert chefs. I personally love their wonderfully curated cookbook wall, which is the backdrop of all of our Salt and Spine episodes. Now, don't miss some of the Civic Kitchen's upcoming classes on topics like summer entertaining or the art of stir-frying. You can find a list of all of the Civic Kitchen's classes and sign up at Civic civickitchensf.com. Now back to our conversation with James Siaboot. So you you came to the U.S. Uh, when you were two, right? As a mm-hmm. refugee, you were two years old. And when did you first go back to Laos? You were 10, 11? Uh, I, never, I haven't gone back to Laos until this trip. Until this trip for the book? I went for back book. to Bonn when I was 12. Okay. To my mother's village. Okay. And then again, I was 15. 
And then after that, not until like we started writing the book, actually. Okay. And can you tell us about that experience then of going to Laos with it? And you went with John Birdsall, your, your yeah. co-author, and Eric Wolfinger. Mm-hmm. And what was that experience like? And what was that process like of going back um, for the book specifically? Uh, you know, for the book, we're um, the first trip. We took two trips. The first trip was just getting a kind of like being in the place, like getting a sense of place of where this comes from, like the the way we eat, um, trying to kind of make sense of it all, you know, and kind of really see like comparing like, okay, when we were at home in Oakland, this, this is how we did it. This is the way we ate communally. Like, I'm pretty sure that came from my mom. And like, I just wanted to go to the place where where everybody's doing it that way. You know, get a sense of like the dining culture there and a sense of a household. And also like freaking out, you know, chasing this unicorn that everyone calls authenticity, you know? And it's like, if we're going to find authenticity, it's going to be here. And he made that argument like, you know, we eat papaya salad twice a day, maybe for like 30 days. And it's like, how can you argue like one eating papaya salad from auntie or this food stand how can you how can you argue once more authentic than the other they taste totally different and it's like authenticity doesn't exist it's just a nuance you know it's not it's not it's not an exact thing it's not something that's absolute so that, you know, that was kind of like not refreshing i kind of knew that was the argument but just to like justify it and to like say it's like you know it's authenticity is bullshit yeah. you know it's 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 a moving target it's not even a target, <laughs> just like a hole in the sky. Right. Um, that's just being there, you know, meeting my aunts and uncles again and like having a family cooked meal, like do like farm the table, you know, like the first trip, like, oh, what are we eating? It's like, oh, you know, uncle's going to climb the uh, mango tree outside, get to extract some ant eggs. They're a little bit small right now, the red ant eggs. I'm like, oh, we're going to make, we'll make lop with it. Okay, sweet. You know, like ants are still moving, crawling around. That's what we ate. And, you know, a couple of uh, beers and some lao cow, some white distilled home white spirit. And later we went out to the rice fields with a flashlight. And now uh, in my mom's rice fields to um, catch frogs, like little baby frogs. And uh, caught them, brought them back, chop them up, butcher them, and stir fry them. You know, and some local bamboo shoot, made a little bamboo shoot stew, steamed some sticky rice, and it was like sitting on the floor all cross-legged and, and a couple of chili dips. And I was like, you know, just like, okay, it's like, this, this reminds me of like Oakland, but a more like true version of it, you know? And that's what I really wanted. It's like, also it was for important for like Eric and John to understand like where I was going with the book as well and to have them live it and see it and be there. And just kind of get like a, the mood of the book. That was very important for me to like take them there. You know, it's like, I can't, you know, I can't teach a point of reference. <laughs> you just have to be there to do it. And I mean, they're troopers, man. They tried everything, you know, like, and eggs and like, it's still moving. I'm like, it's okay. Just bite them before they bite you. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we had, a, we had a great time. What was your recipe development process like then? So you you mentioned this this term authenticity, right? Like mm-hmm. like how do you when you're when you're working on a papaya salad to put it in a hawker fair, for instance, how do you grapple with like what recipe goes into the cookbook? You have your auntie's recipe, you have this recipe that you've developed. Yeah, the- I, I just make it the way I like to eat it. Yeah, you know, it could be a lot spicier, obviously, but you know, <laughs> I was kept in mind like you know I want actually people to enjoy eating it. 
Yeah. Not to think. But, you know, I didn't shy. I didn't like omit any ingredients. I might, I might have toned down some things a little bit, like the spice level and the funkiness level. But it's pretty absolute, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, like I say, it's a guide, you know, if you something, if you like something that's spicier, add more chilies. It's okay. You know, but like that's to be the foundation. It shouldn't be less spicier than that. Like you always go up or you have something that you want more funkier. It's like, please add more padak, add more fish sauce. It's, you know, like make it like you'd like it. Right. And when you go to papaya stands in Thailand or Laos and the person who's mulling papaya salad in the, in the stand, they'll ask you like, how would you like it? How many chilies would you like? You like it on the sweeter side? You like it more tart? It's very a bespoke experience. And this guide and the recipes here is just, just like a jump off point to have it become a bespoke experience. You mentioned um, a, a couple other chefs, and this is your first cookbook. You mentioned um, Dave Chang. You mentioned Roy Choi. What sort of um, people or cookbooks did you look to for inspiration when you were putting this cookbook together? Um, definitely Roy's book. You know, I, I, know, I know Roy from... Or um, food and wine best new chef class. We met together. I'm like, man, this dude's real, man. It's like, it's like Big Brother right here. He put me in check, <laughs> you know. And he like owned it, you know. It's like, yeah, I make Korean tacos, and he talk about his food, like it was the best thing in the world, you know, from a food truck. For me, it's like I don't even have that sense of enthusiasm for my own food about Kumi, <laughs> you know, a Michelin star restaurant. It's like, man, I like this guy's swag, you know, like he really owns it, like it's the heritage, and like. We kind of have like almost parallel upbringings, him being in LA, I'm from NorCal. We kind of have the same stories, but him being Korean, um, definitely Roy. And then, you know, like, like Dave Chang just doesn't give a fuck. You know, he's just like, I just, I just make shit delicious. You yeah. know, I don't care where it's from, if it's fusion, whatever, it's just make it delicious. Food should be craveable and delicious. And that's like the most paramount thing. And I think it's like, it's just, you know, Young, like first generation Asian Americans, just like owning their heritage and like putting it out there in some type of form and really, really owning it. And to say, hey, it's my food. It's not once they say it's authentic. That's what I love about it. You know, it's like, I'm not authentic. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I didn't just come off a plane in Thailand and start cooking this food all of a sudden. You know, I've been here, you know, all my life. You know, yeah. So it's, it's, it's an American story. Yeah. Um, so say you're listening to this podcast and you go pick up uh, a copy of Hawker Fair at your local bookstore. Do you have a favorite recipe or two? What do you tell people? Like if they're going to cook something out of Hawker Fair, what should they start with? I think the best thing to start with is, you know, just to break you in will be like the fried chicken. You know, everyone loves fried chicken. I think that's like, no matter where it's from, like fried chicken is always delicious and craveable. And I, I'll, I'll start off with that. And it kind of work your way kind of through, get used to like sourcing ingredients. You know, it's like, oh, this is going to be my supermarket where I'm going to get all my ingredients. I think most of it, finding people finding intimidating is because they can't find the ingredients. All the techniques are very simple. You know, mortar and pestle, $7 knife, you know, some pots and pans, maybe not even that. But I think just getting over like finding ingredients. And once you get those building blocks, the rest is fairly easy. Is there another cookbook in the works? Are you thinking about that? <laughs> Man, writing's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Cooking's the easy part for sure. Um, I'm going to take a little, take a little break. I'm still kind of, still hasn't sunk it in yet, like this book. So it's going to take me a while to like, you know, still like not embrace it, but kind of celebrate it. And it's like, wow, like 
this was amazing experience from start to finish. Great. Well, thanks so much, James, for joining us on Salt and Spine. We really appreciate it. This was a great conversation. And thank you for having me. This is fantastic. Wow, what a great conversation with James. Now let's head over to Omnivore Books in San Francisco, where we're catching up with Celia Sack in our From the Vault series. This is where we take a look at a vintage or related work, and I think today's is going to be a good one. Hi, Celia. How are you? Hey, Brian. I'm good. How are you doing? Great. So we just sat down with James Siaboot and talked about his latest book, uh, Hawker Fair, his first cookbook. Um, I'm hoping you have a Laos book you can share with us today. Actually, I have pretty much the one and only before James's. Wonderful. Uh, and it's, Great. It I'm goes all the it. way. Yeah. It goes <laughs> all the way back to 1981. Okay. And it's by Fia Singh called Traditional Recipes of Laos. Okay. Uh, it was published by Prospect Books, who, who uh, which was run by Alan Davidson. He wrote the Oxford Companion to Food and was a prominent British publisher and mm. editor. Um Prospect Books is still in business, amazingly. Okay. And uh, he was particularly interested in Southeast Asia. He wrote a very, Alan Davidson himself wrote a very important book on the fish of Southeast Asia and, okay. and how to cook it and, and eat it. And so this um, this is like one of the only Laotian books that was published. I mean, and it's luckily it's still in print, but it's a little hard to come by. So I always grab it when I can. Sure. How cool and how great to have this context and now look at James Siabut's latest Lao book. It's about time. Yeah, it's wonderful to bring some attention to that cuisine. Definitely. Great. Thanks so much, Celia. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening. Head to our website, saltandspine.com, to find an excerpt from Hawker Fair, as well as a recipe for James' fried chicken with charred chili jam. If you like hearing from your favorite cookbook authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and leave us a review. Our program was produced today by Allison Sullivan and myself, with audio support from Nina Ernest. Thanks to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen Cooking School team, as well as Cecilia Sack at Omnivore Books. Our original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love.